Well, last time that I was with the group, I spoke about something to do with covenants. But we want to see how this covenant really does play out into our lives. From the 42nd chapter of Isaiah, we're going to... So this is how God tells us about his servant. And in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Isaiah, there are three sections in Isaiah which are called like servants' songs. A servant being uh, multi, there's, there's multiple meanings for the word servant in that we can look at an individual as a servant. We can look at the way that the Old Testament talks about the whole group or population of the, of the group of Israel being a servant. And then we can talk about um, even smaller than that, we can talk about what Jesus did for us. He became our servant. So the word serve to serve is a, is a word that gives us the connotation that something is being done and one person is doing it to another or someone is getting, someone is getting something from another person. And so what he's talking about here in this particular chapter is he's talking about you know, some hundreds of years, 600 years perhaps before Jesus came talking about who the servant is going to be. And this is God-inspired word. So let's read from the beginning verse of uh, chapter 42. This is my servant, I strengthen him. This is my chosen one, I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on the earth. The islands will wait for his instruction. This is what God Yahweh says who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and life to those who walk on it. I, Yahweh, have called you for a righteous purpose. I will hold you by, my, by your hand. I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness. From the prison house, I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. In, the, in past events or the past events, I have indeed happened. Now I declare new events. I announce them to you before they occur. Verse 10, the song is a new song to the Lord. Sing his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea with all that fills it, your islands, with your inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities shout. The settlements where Kadar dwells cry aloud. Let the inhabitants of Selah join or sing for joy. Let them cry out from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and to declare his praise in the islands. 
The Lord advises like a warrior, or advances like a warrior. He stirs up his zeal like a soldier. He shouts, he roars aloud, he prevails over his enemies. 14 says, I have kept silent from agents, ages past. I have been quiet and restrained myself, but now I will groan like a woman in labor, gasping breathlessly. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up marshes. I will lead the blind by a way they did not know. I will guide them on paths they have not known. I will turn darkness to light in front of them and rough places into level ground. This is what I will do for them and I will not forsake them. They will be turned back and utterly ashamed, those who trust in idols, and say to metal-plated images, you are our gods. So then he goes on to talk about Israel's blindness and their deafness towards the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God that is talking to them. So what is Isaiah saying here in this 41st, or 42nd chapter? He's a servant. He's my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. This is how, when Jesus came to the earth, he was able to establish this relationship that we have through him, with him, to the Heavenly Father. So this covenant that was made is also used kind of as an oath, a promise. He makes this promise to us because he's not, he's not willing to see his creation go to ruin. That's something to think about. If God has created you in the womb, has knit you together in your mother's womb, will he not be concerned about you all the days that he gives you breath? He will. But we are so short-minded and we forget so easily that there's an everlasting side to this fleshly body that seems to be going away so fast as we age. There's something that is in this body that is going to propel us into eternity. And the only way that we can get this, this propulsion is to rest back on what God has said in the scriptures. So if God is telling us through his word today what he said through Isaiah many hundreds of years before Jesus came, he knew, Isaiah knew. He also, his word is recorded so that we would know that God is involved with all history. So what he sees in history, what we see in history rather, is what he has done and made possible. The things that come along the roadside and the things that happen to us along the way are all thrown at us through the chaos of the world. So that that chaos will try to drag us or take us away from our journey. Little, thi little things that come up along the way, things that happen to us on a day-to-day -day basis surprise us or come up against us and we are kind of taken aback by that and we stop to think and well, as soon as we pause and take our mind off of Jesus or of God uh, and not even consciously as we stop to think about other things other than God and start to reprocess them in our minds, all of a sudden our focus becomes diminished towards our goal. 
And this is what the devil wants. He wants us to be diminished somehow. He wants us to hear him when he says, uh, this, is, this is just a little sidebar here. There's, this is really meaningless, all this stuff. But I want you to follow me and I'll make it better for you. So we start to think about, well, will it be better? And then our mind starts to play tricks on us and tell us, well, maybe, perhaps. And the more we think about it, the more we can see the work that is going to perhaps change us and make us a happy person. But this happiness is temporary. The devil is satisfied with temporary because if he can do enough temporary, he can destroy forever. And that's really what we need to be on guard for. This is what uh, God is telling through Isaiah. He says in verse 3, he says, I'm sorry, in verse 1, he says, I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. So if we look at this and we say this is a literal thing, he will bring justice to the nations, we could see how the Jewish people would have gotten caught up in the fact that this person was going to be someone who was going to remain in a kingdom, earthly. And he would have this capacity to judge righteously, but he would also be taking care of the nations as they know it. What is he talking about? He will bring his righteous judgment on those, like he says, that, that want to worship something other than him. So his justice is that he will wait and wait and wait, and he gives us all these opportunities to pay attention and to learn from him and to, and to keep our focus on him. But he loves us, and when we get confused, we think, hmm, we get this pause that we think about, and we want to be uh, better than, than what we think that we can be, and that's the devil telling us. You have to be righteous this way. You have to do this this way. And it's not what the Scripture says or what the Holy Spirit's talk to us. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. That's not how God works. He works in the small things. He works in the people that you have bumped up against and all of a sudden you hear about these things that can only be God-centered, can only be God-given. We've probably seen them all in our own life in many different ways. But that didn't come with some huge announcement. There wasn't some herald standing outside the door with a great big horn blowing, you know, here comes a happening now. We have heard his... We, or make his voice heard in the streets. Verse 3 says, He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering whip. God gives us so much opportunity to know who he is. And if we're broken by what we have fallen into, if we're broken by the world, or we're broken by the temptation of the devil, it says here that he's not going to let us stay there. He's going to pick us up. A smoldering wick uh, kind of denotes a fire. And if there's a little bit of a coal there, there's some sort of light that goes on that we will, that we see as something living. And that living thing is our faith. So no matter how weak our faith gets, he is there. He sees us through that. And he's willing to do what? 
he will not put out. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged or until he has established justice on earth. The islands will wait for his instruction. Now, I didn't do a lot of research on this islands, but there's some spiritual significance to this island that is out there. But he's talking about the whole earth is going to wait. So no matter how isolated you are, you're going to be brought together. You're going to hear the word. You're going to, when it's his will, you will be protected. This is what God, Yahweh, says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and life to those who walk on it. See, God is telling us that he has the ability to create us. He can make us and he can break us. But what does it say here? He's going to be patient. He will not grow weak or he will not be discouraged. Isn't that marvelous when we think about our Jesus, what he faced here on earth, comes from the, the heart of a man who is God that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. This is, this is a small stuff to talk about, but big implication when we put it to, to, in our thoughts. I, Yahweh, have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. And in my translation here, your is capitalized, meaning he's talking about his appointed servant, which means Jesus. I will keep you, Jesus, and appoint you, Jesus, to be a covenant for the people and a light foot to the nations in order to open blind eyes and bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. So these are all metaphors that we can actually put into context because we can relate to them. See, God talks to us because he has to talk to us almost in, in like we are first graders. You know, even in the scripture, no matter how high and mighty these people think that they can dis, uh, discern the Bible and put it into context, the Bible is nowhere near to how God really does think. His thinking is so deep that there's no way we could comprehend what he even has in mind. But he gives us this, this uh, language that we understand and that we're able to put into context. So what does he say here? I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. All people who haven't known Jesus, haven't known the creation of what God can do, that have not been uh, aware of the opportunity that God has in salvation, he is offering us, and he's patient, and he's going to wait. He's going to wait. He will open your blind eyes. He will let you understand the scriptures. He will bring out prisoners from the dungeon, those people that are kept in sin. Like, for example, a good example of that would be someone who is, uh, has an addiction problem, someone who can't stay away from a substance or a action that they do. So he's bringing people out of that. Why? Because they see beyond their self and they see to their salvation what he's going to do for them. 
I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. The past events have happened, have indeed happened. <clears throat> now I declare new events. I announce them to you before they occur. So now he's telling us that we are going to have this servant come and take care of us. So then he goes on to his praise song. But what we hear from Isaiah is that this savior, this worker of God is going to bring his Holy Spirit and place it upon those who pay attention. And if you want to pay attention, if you pay attention and you want to want what he has, he will impart that to you. So everywhere, so everywhere in the world will hear it. Okay. So let's look at uh, chapter 8 of Matthew. And we'll see how Jesus then is taking part in this. Let's look at chapter 8, starting with verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, in terrible agony. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him, he told him. Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be cured. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed, and he said to those following him, I assure you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. Was Jesus is paying a, paying a compliment to a Gentile, a Roman soldier. But obviously this soldier has heard and wants to, wants to hear more because he knows that this person, this Jesus, is a miraculous healer. So what does he say? I tell you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is talking about a judgment. And he's saying that this man has made himself known to him and he will escape the judgment. Then Jesus told the centurion, go as you have believed, let it be done to you. And his servant was cured that very moment. So what is Jesus's covenant with this centurion's soldier, with this Roman soldier? If God said that he's going to enlighten the nations He's not just talking about Israel. He's talking about salvation, and that salvation is for you and me. So when we have this opportunity come to us, we can see it even more clearly when, it, when we can relate to this. Because in our human minds, sometimes we find it that it seems like God is way out there and we can't really understand what he's saying. So when Jesus went into Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her. 
Then she got up and began to serve began to serve him. When the evening came, they brought him many who were demon possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all those who were sick. So that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. So what he's proving is that God's word is true from the Old Testament that you won't be able to see because you'll be dead 500 and some years before this happens. But he took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. A simple statement with eternal consequences. Now we have to understand that Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy that Isaiah has put out there. Okay, then here's another way that the covenant works with, with through people. Now that one we saw was the one working through Jesus with the centurion. But let's go to uh, Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up, go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. And he had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Then, Philip, then the eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or another person? So this is where faith turns to life. He wants to believe, but he's not... He doesn't quite understand. So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning from that scripture. And as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with your heart, you may. And with all your heart, I'm sorry, and he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him any longer. But he went on his way, rejoicing. Philip appeared in Aztos, and he was traveling and evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. We see how 
this prophet that has been talked about has led people that are totally outside the kingdom to the kingdom. So this proves that there is a God who says there isn't one person who cannot believe. One person that cannot own this. There isn't one person who has to do some kind of ritual or pay some money or do whatever kind of deed laid upon him to prove that he is a believer. So Philip, when he's talking to this eunuch, can you imagine the, the experience he's having? Philip was there, he watched all this stuff happen with Jesus. So to be able to tell this eunuch about what the prophet Isaiah has been put down, and that would be the scripture that they would have had available to be able to read and to study. All we have to do is we have the whole book and we can look at it anytime we want. And sometimes we don't take that time that we need to do to study the word and to put it into play for ourselves. But this man was interested and he wanted to know about God. And this is what the desire that God would want to put on all of our hearts, that we would get to know his covenant and why that covenant was important to be able to have this whole history, this whole God history that would push us and, and turn us into being one complete body with Christ, the bride, the one waiting for the bridegroom, the one waiting for the end of the journey to meet face to face these people that brought us the opportunity to believe. And that would be out to our benefit. We have to keep this as a benefit. It cannot become a burden or it cannot become complacent in our hearts and we have to be very careful to watch against that. And I'm speaking of myself also. And I find it sometimes just easy to say, God is always there and just, that's it. But to what does he do for me every day? What, does he, what has he done for me every day? With that in mind, we can start moving into, away from this bleak winter, if you will, uh, the snowy day that we got in, in springtime, that is supposed to bring us something new, something growing, something exploding out of the earth. And to watch that happen and see that happen, we know that God is there and he makes the crops, he makes the, the trees, he makes everything. And some of them are a little crooked and some of them are perfectly straight, but they're all his, just like we are. In Jesus' name, amen.